0: about today? There we go. Well, my name is John Ray. I am facilitate the teaching team here at Grace Church, and we, as Alex said earlier, we are here today because we're called out. We're the church. We are called out, set apart for a purpose, for a specific holy purpose in what we do. Um, that gathering is to know God and to make God known. That purpose is to have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to love and obey, minds to understand, all for the glory of God in the world. And so we gather here on a a weekly basis to to be reminded of that and to engage in the practices and the tools that are necessary to enable us to do that more and more to greater and greater effectiveness, not just for our sake, but also for the sake of the world. So thank you for being here this morning. Thank you if you're watching on Facebook Live or you're listening on the podcast, we're really here. Um, I don't know if y'all know this about Jane Ray, but she is a phenomenal birthday party thrower. Is Is that a thing? Is that a description? Like Hannah will tell you, yeah, Jordan, you've been at some. Like the princess birthday parties with treasure hunts and And fiestas with horses and pinatas and all these things. And and we've all done it, right, as parents, right? We dress our kids up as princesses or as superheroes or as pirates, and we set them center stage for that day. They get to become that superhero with that. And that's all fine, and it's great, and it's wonderful to do, but But really, who's really making that happen? I mean, the four-year-old running around with Batman costume on, granted, pretty powerful figure there. (laughs) But the real power is the one who makes that happen, is the mom who tirelessly plans, cooks, gets everything ready, sends out the invitations, the dads who gather and corral and do the thing all the people. There's where the power is. Well, we're studying Acts this summer, the first part at least of that. And in a little bit, now this is this is a bit of a stretch, so stick with me, but in a little bit it's like watching a kid's birthday party. It's like watching a bunch of kids get to dress up in the role of have these powers with and go do. And it's cool to see that Unless we really forget who's making all that happen. And who's making all that happen is the real hero of the story. Because it's easy to read Acts. It's easy to read even other parts of the Bible and make the people who are empowered the the hero. And they're not. Y'all, we're not the heroes of the story. Paul wasn't the hero's story. Peter wasn't the hero's story. Early church, they weren't the heroes of the story. The heroes of the story is always God. And that's our big idea as we look at this second chapter of Acts. Because listen, there's way more in this chapter than we can possibly get to in one sitting. But we're going to give this flyover overview, and we're, going to, and we're going to look at this, and we're going to see here that God is the hero of the story. God specifically, God the Holy Spirit. And as we were discussing this, Lucian made a great, a great point. It's real easy to talk about Jesus as a person, obviously, we see the incarnation, but even when we use Father God, the God in the Old Testament, we use Father imagery, it's easy to think of God personified as God, as a personal concept. But then we get to the Holy Spirit, and it's just kind of woo right? It's kind of, is it a feeling? Is it a ghost? Is it a wind? It is a mist? What? And so I've been disciplining myself this week because of Lucian's comment, because of the study, to say God the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit, but God the Holy Spirit. Just like we say, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we are talking about God here when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Not a feeling, not an emotion, not some kind of woo-woo, but God, God's self, as we do this. And, uh, and it's also interesting here as we get into this, this idea with this. Um, how many of you have done the DNA test, like the 23andMe type thing? Anybody else in here? Jane and I gave this to each other for Christmas um, a couple years ago. <clears throat> and it's real fascinating, right? You get the results and you're like, oh, man, my people, you know. They invaded over here and they ransacked over here and they pillaged, because I'm all Celt, right? So we pillaged over here and we destroyed over here and then we took over this land here and then we were, that's what we're doing with Acts, is we're reading our family history. This is not a story about other people just somewhere else. This is our family. In the same way that we read those DNA tests or the histories of our family, our lineage, and we read them and we feel the connection, we need to feel the connection here with this. These are our people as we read. So let's dig in. Um, The the words, if you want to follow along, it's Acts chapter 2. We're using the message this summer as a break from our normal text to give us just a breather, a little bit different take on scripture. It's also easier to tell it as a story. And so I'm going to tell it as a story more than just reading it as chapter and verse as we go through. So we start with chapter 2, and we see that everybody's gathered for Pentecost in Jerusalem. Now, Matt Covington made a great point last, last week, which if you weren't here, you need to go listen. Look, Ryan, Ryan, and Matt did a fantastic job over the last three weeks with setting all this up. But Matt specifically said last week, he asked the question, why did they have to wait? Like, what was the big deal, right, with them waiting in Jerusalem? Well, remember, when they went in for the crucifixion and the resurrection, that was the feast of Passover. Well, following Passover in counting from the days, we have the feast of Pentecost. And there were three feasts that required a pilgrimage for the people of Israel every year. Passover and Pentecost were two of them, and Passover and Pentecost We're together, we're close enough, where I really believe Jesus had them stay so that they would be there on Pentecost, so that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, would come on Pentecost, but why? If Passover was to illustrate freedom, liberation from the slavery of sin, liberation from the slavery of death, in the resurrection of Jesus, what was God saying about God's self by appearing in such power on Pentecost. Anybody know what she celebrated on Pentecost? Two things, yes. First fruits, the wheat offering, what they made bread from. Jesus continually refers to himself as what? Bread of life, right? We're going to celebrate the bread here as a reminder that Jesus feeds us, Jesus gives to us, Jesus is for us in a physical presence of feeding us. What was the other thing they celebrated? Do you know? The giving of the Torah. The giving of the law. If we're going to understand the presence of the God in our lives through God the Holy Spirit, we need to understand why God chose to come at Pentecost in this form. And to do that, we need to understand what they were anticipating and celebrating at Pentecost. What they were anticipating and celebrating at Pentecost was the provision of physical goods, food, sustenance for the physical body, and the provision of spiritual food, the Word of God for our spiritual selves. So they're gathered at Pentecost. Jesus says, just wait. Just hold. Hold your horses. Get together. They waited. They may or may not have done the right thing by casting lots and getting a 12th apostle. We talked about that last week. But they were there. And then on Pentecost, this is what happens. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind. Gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through the ranks. So he started speaking in comp- In a number of different languages, as the Spirit prompted them, there there were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then. Remember, it was a pilgrimage. Devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. What is going on? Like last night, right? The tornado sirens. The wind blowing through the trees. When they heard, one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on. They kept saying, aren't these Galileans? How come they were hearing them talk? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phigaira, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrenes, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs, it says, emphasizing. They're speaking our language, describing God's mighty work. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joke, ah, they're just drunk. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other lemon, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. And now here it's interesting to note, we don't have a lot of time to go into it. I hope you'll, you'll, you'll look at it in the guide. Peter changes scripture. He takes a prophecy from Joel and he adds to it. He says, in these last days, instead of after these things... And then he quotes, he says, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, and also your daughters. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, which he changes from slaves as a class to everyone, all of us, you, me, all of us. He pours out his spirit on all of us, men and women, both, and they'll prophesy, which he adds... He adds this about prophecy. In the original, Joel is just, I'll pour out my spirit. Peter says, i will pour out my spirit, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billing smoke, sun turning black, moon, blood red, before the day of the Lord arrives, a tremendous day and marvelous. Whoever calls out to me for help, God will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you, the miracles and Wonders and signs that God did through him are common knowledge. This Jesus, following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you, and you pinned him to the cross and killed him. But God united. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. And then he goes on, he quotes this psalm from David. He says, I saw God before me for all time. Nothing can shake me. He's by my right side. I'm glad he's inside out, ecstatic. Ecstatic. I pitched my tent in the land of hope. I know you'll never dump me in Hades. I've never even, seen the, I've never even had the smell of the scent of death. You've got my feet on the life path, your face shining, sun joy all around. And then, so Peter gives commentary on this. Dear friends, <clears throat> let me be completely frank with you. Our ancestor David is dead and buried. His tomb is in plain sight today. But being also a prophet and knowing God had solemnly sworn that a descendant of his would rule the kingdom, seeing far ahead, he talked up the resurrection of the Messiah. No trip to Hades, no stench of death. This Jesus God has raised up. And every one of us here is witness to it. Then, raised to heights by the right hand of God and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out that spirit he had just received. This is what you see and hear, for David himself did not ascend to heaven, but he did say, God said to my master, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies a stool for your resting feet. All Israel, then know this, there is no longer any room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on a cross. Talk about a mic drop. And that's how he ends his speech. This Jesus, whom you killed, God has made master and Messiah. The people's reaction cut to the quick. Those who were listening asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? What do we do? Peter said, Change your life, turn to God, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our Master God invites. He went on with this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get out while you can, get out of the sick and stupid culture. That day, about 3,000 people took him at his word. Were baptized and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs being done through the apostles, and all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed daily a discipline of worship in the temple. Followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration. Exuberant and joyful, they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. Wow. Wow. Y'all, what a story. What an occurrence. What a thing of these people coming from all over the world of, of this incredibly masterful strategy of the Father. God the Father, of God the Son, of God the Holy Spirit, to all culminate on this day of Pentecost when people were anxiously and eagerly celebrating the receiving of the Word and of substance with that. They did this thing. Oh, thank you, Alex. Got worked up there. Now, in this process, though, as our study in Acts this summer goes, we're engaged into dialogue. If you look at the logo, right, we're all used to this. We're all used to the little text box bubbles that come. We send a message. We wait for a message back. We do it. And that's what we're doing with Acts. It's a little bit of a different format. Because, like I said, this is our family. These are our people. This is who we're in dialogue with. And I think there are, as we read this, there are things that Acts is asking us, and I think there are things that we need to ask, Acts. So the first thing I would ask as we did this, is what in the world? Tongues of fire, speaking different languages, like how crazy is that? That we're, that's what's going on? Like like we need to ask ourselves, and we need to ask the text, what is happening here? I can remember as a, as a missionary student going to an inner-city church in Kansas City. It was my first experience in anything like that. And man, y'all, it was wild. It was wild. For this kid, grown up and stayed and buttoned up Protestant church culture, inner-city Kansas City church was not that. And there are people wailing and falling out in the spirit and speaking in tongues and dancing and running up and down the aisles and I gotta tell you I was freaked out I, I, I was it was way beyond my comfort zone and I'm watching and at first it was kind of unique <clears throat> and some of it I thought you know maybe kind of corny but as the service went on I like I realized like these people are serious like this isn't a joke this isn't an act like Something's happening here, and, and it scared me. And so what I did was I just watched this one woman, and she was playing the organ. She kind of had that sweet grandmotherly face. And I'm just like, I'm just going to watch her. Like, I'm just going to focus on her. She's just playing the organ, right? None of the falling out, none of the screaming, none of the running. She's playing the organ. I'm like, I'm just going to focus. If I can focus on her, I'll be okay. Well, you know what happens, right? She's playing along, and then somewhere along there, the spirit hit her. She falls back. People catch her. She gets up. She's walking around the room laying hands on people. People are falling out the whole thing, and I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I don't know what to do anymore. And and my buddy who was sitting next to me, she comes over, and she lays her hand on his head, and he just sits there. I'm like, I, I guess it doesn't work for us. You know, and and we come out of the – and. The the service ends, and everybody kind of calms down and goes back out, right? And I turn to look at my buddy. I'm like, man, what was all that about? He couldn't move. He was struck so hard, he was struck dumb and rigid. Like, I talked to him later. As he came out, he goes, did you not feel that? I'm like, dude, she laid her hand on your head. He goes, it was like 10,000 watts going through my body. He said, "I I was just rigid, stuck in my seat. These kind of things don't just happen in the book. There are experiences of the Holy Spirit that are just like this today. And we've got, we can really quickly fall into one of two groups. We can be the ones who are going, hey, let's go find it. Let's go make it happen. Let's, let's run from experience to experience. Let's, let's, let's go to Bethel. Let's go to over here. Let's go to this. Let's go to that. Let's go chase the experience. And then there's a group of us like, oh, hell no, not here. Like, we're not into that. We'll come up with all kinds of theological reasons why that is wrong and why that's, you know, it's just not our culture, and we'll do that, and we resist, and we hold it back. And I think we have to be careful from falling into either one of those camps. I think instead what what Acts is asking us is where is the Holy Spirit present here now at Grace? Where are we now, us, experiencing the Holy Spirit? Because we can ask Acts, what was that like? But they're going to ask us, what's it like for you? What's it like for Grace Church right now? Are we tuned in? Are we sitting back and making judgment calls? Not participating, trying to maintain control? Are we trying to force something to happen? Create it on our own, in our own strength, in our own way? Or are we willing to really pay attention and ask, where is the Holy Spirit? And then work with that. Emphasize that. Join with that. Let that happen grow that experience of the Holy Spirit I think that's what the people in Acts are asking us what is our experience of the Holy Spirit today now now another thing we need to ask as we do this is what is Peter doing with the whole scriptural changing the thing up right because you can go through this and you can compare it to the to the words in the Old Testament Peter He changes it. And we can ask him, Peter, what are you doing with that? Are you you playing fast and loose with Scripture? Did you lose your sword drill? You just quoted it wrong. You meant to quote it the other way, but you quoted it wrong. Like, what did you do? And I think the answer would be no. What he's doing is exactly what he saw Jesus do. He saw Jesus interpret everything that he happened that happened to him, all his circumstances, everything about his life through the lens of the Old Testament, through the lens of the prophecy. And he understood that that was alive. It was living. And then it needed to be interpreted for the context where they were. And I think that's what Acts is asking us. What are we doing with Scripture? Are we bibliodolaters? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scripture? This unchanging, codified book that just kind of drops down from heaven? Or are we embracing it like the early church did, this living, breathing thing that was sent into the midst to dialogue with and to give meaning and context and purpose for everything that we're doing? Are we receiving the word as a way to interpret our lives rather than putting our interpretation on the scripture as a thing? I think that's what this is asking us. And one of the ways we can tell this is just what does it mean to you? What is the word? Does it scare you? Is it boring? Does it seem oppressive? Does it seem like dictatorial what what's your relationship with the word and listen i know we all got a lot of baggage if you grew up in the church you got a lot of baggage to come over, overcome and there's so many voices saying so many things about what scripture means and about how to interpret it but y'all it's it's crucial to us that we adopt that as what forms our imagination That we try to fit our lives into the narrative and context of Scripture, not vice versa. Not pick and choose and cut and paste and just, you know, add a little Scripture bumper sticker on our car of life so that we feel like we've got some kind of blessing as we go down. Peter did that. The early church was doing it. Jesus did it. We need to do it as well. And then I think the last thing we ask here is uh, we ask the church, especially when we get to the last part where they were selling everything, they were eating together, every meal was a celebration, everybody's needs were taken care of. It's like, wow, y'all, you kind of found utopia there, right? How many of you ever heard someone say or go to a church ever before? they said, we're going to be a New Testament church? Anybody? Go to that, right? We're going to be a New Testament church. And the first thing I always want to ask is, y'all are communist. <clears throat> Y'all, y'all really sell everything? You hold everything in common in this church? Like, I want to see that. I want to see that in 21st century America. I want to walk into a church where everybody's car title is in the church office. Everybody's home title is in the church office. Nobody's got a separate bank account. There's church bank. One ATM card for everybody. Because that's what they were doing here. And I think we need to ask him, like, hold on, like, what's going on? What, why, how are y'all doing that? What's motivating that? What, what's the experience of that? And there's some deep conversations to be had about that. Some seriously deep conversations to be had in light of how that church operated. But the question back to us is, what about us? What vision for community is, is guiding us? Grace Church, come on. Look, why are we here? What are we doing? What are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with our Sunday mornings? What are we doing with our Wednesday nights? Why are we here? What, for what purpose? We live in a world with endless opportunities. You don't, you don't have to have a lot of money living in Northwest Arkansas right now to have your schedule full of incredible things that you could do. If you have any inkling for the outdoors, you could be outdoor almost any weekend hiking, floating, fishing, riding your bike, doing stuff. They even got, I, I'm following this thing on, on Facebook called Dirt Church. It's a bunch of dirtbag mountain bikers that Sunday mornings, they go ride, they call it dirt church, right? Like, they know what they're doing. They know what they're about. I I will give them that. They're like, hey, we're we're here to shred. (laughs) You know, that's what they do. Why are we here? What is the... As we read through Acts, this question is going to come up time and time and time again. Why are you here? grace church what are we about well that's a question that defies an easy answer and it's one that is going to come up like i said repeatedly as we go through here but i want to end with this as we ask that question as we ask other questions and as questions are asked of us i want to bring it back to how we started Like I said, this chapter offers more content than a single Sunday, maybe a single lifetime, can comprehend. But whatever questions we ask of it or it asks of us, we have to orient ourselves first. We have to realize that we are not the heroes of the story, that role is God and God's alone. And make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has always been since, look, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always has been. It's not Old Testament God, Father, Gospels, God, Jesus, New Testament God, Holy Spirit. It's not like that. They're all together. Now, we emphasize there are different emphases, there are different experiences, but it's all God, all the time. But we are going to see this emphasis on the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is God, fully God in the same way that God the Father is God and Jesus is God. God the Holy Spirit is the hero of the chapter. And what we will continue to encounter in Acts and even here today is that the Holy Spirit is the hero. God the Holy Spirit is, there, is here right now as well. Not as an afterthought or an adjunct God. Not as a voice from offstage or a presence recognized in memoriam. God the Holy Spirit is here. Yeah, look, God often does this. God often dresses us up and lets us be Batman, okay? Church, we get, we get to be the princess. We get to be the pirate. We get to be the superhero. We get to feel that part. God delights in giving us these gifts. God delights in throwing these parties for us. God delights in letting us be the witness, letting us do that. But we have to remember, I'm not Batman, I'm not. I'm not the hero of the story. We're not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story with this. God the Holy Spirit, the one who gives the gifts of languages, prophetic speech and witness, grace to live in deep and sacrificial community, and in all things, God the Holy Spirit, who brings harmony, offers that to us today just like God the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and as a practice of that harmony as a way of as a way of demonstrating it as a way of living it out we're going to continue this morning by doing three things. We're going to share this table. We're going to celebrate The provision of sustenance, physical sustenance, and also spiritual sustenance. Both the word and the body, the worship and the wine we celebrate. We do this to proclaim the mystery of Jesus alive, crucified, and resurrected. And we proclaim it until the kingdom is fulfilled in the end. We also take up an offering here. We take up an offering because we are recognizing the abundance of what God has done. And that all of us have something to give, but also the reality of community that none of us here is without a lack. All of us are just a part. None of us is whole unto themselves. We are a part of a community, so we share an offering. We give, we receive, we do that. And then the last thing is we pray and we reflect. Because look, y'all, I threw a lot of stuff out today. You need, to, you need to make sure we're tracking. This isn't a dictatorship. This is a community. Each one of us has a responsibility to make sure that we are all tracking together and that this is true. So we reflect and we pray and we meet in our groups and we work this out and we ask these questions and we let these questions be asked of us. So thank you for being part of that. Thank you for being here today.
1: So, um, we don't have a specific way that we require you to come. You just come as you feel led to take the communion. Uh, we did something last week and, um, in our liturgy, and I would really like for us to do it again this week. Um, I don't know if we'll do it all the way through our study of Acts, but as we came down and as we took the cup and the bread, instead of going back to your seats, what I would like for us to do is stay gathered close to the front, you can find a chair a little closer. No one will steal your purse or anything. Don't worry. Just come forward, get your uh, elements, and then let's stay close together up here and let's spend some time in prayer and in reflection uh, as we share the communion together. Because communion is a recentering, and that's what John is really challenging us: How do we recenter our ourselves? How do we recenter our hearts? It says this in John six.
2: You give all You restore
1: spirit in us, in each one of us, God. We ask that you bring it to life. Father, I agree with my brother John. You are here. Your spirit is present, whether we recognize it or not. So, Father, help us to equip ourselves to recognize your presence in this place. We are one
2: in the Spirit We are one in the Lord We are one in the Spirit We are one in the Lord And we pray that all unity May one day be restored And they'll know we are Christians By our love, by our love Yes, they'll know we are Christians We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, and together we'll spread the news.
3: We have three quick announcements. <clears throat> As we are inspired more by the first church in Acts, let's brainstorm ways we can better gather, share, and serve. And you can email Teresa Cornett or see her if you have ideas or need to get better connected in our church family. Number two, there's an all-church picnic coming up. Gully Park, June 5th, 5 to 7 o'clock p.m. Mark your calendars. We still need people to organize activities. Wow, that was amazing. Where would that come from? I'm going to oh. paint your face. Someone else do something. <laughs> and FYI, there is another canopy training this Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. at Good Shepherd Church. And this is a great thing to take advantage of. Our benediction for today is Grace Church, go out into the world To show forth new life, a new way of living, dream dreams, pursue visions, and proclaim God's goodness and power in the words and languages of all God's children. And may God, the Holy Spirit, who breathed life into us, be our delight. May Christ Jesus be exalted, and may the God, the Father, receive glory in all things. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord, his church, and all creation. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Glory to God.